You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 263. Directing teenage actors is like juggling jars of nitroglycerin, exhilarating and dangerous. Stephen King. Broadcasting from a dark, windowless room in Hollywood, when we really should be working on that next draft. It's the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, showing you the craft and business of screenwriting while teaching you how to make your screenplay bulletproof. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, today's show is sponsored by Bulletproof Script Coverage. Now, unlike other script coverage services, Bulletproof Script Coverage actually focuses on the kind of project you are and the goals of the project you are. So we actually break it down by three categories, micro-budget, indie film market, and studio film. There's no reason to get coverage from a reader that's used to reading tentpole movies when your movie's going to be done for $100,000. And we wanted to focus on that at Bulletproof Script Coverage. Our readers have worked with Marvel Studios, CAA, WME, NBC, HBO, Disney, Scott Free, Warner Brothers, The Blacklist, and many, many more. So if you need your screenplay or TV script covered by professional readers, head on over to CoverMyScreenplay.com. Now, how many filmmakers out there want to learn how to direct epic action on a budget? I teamed up with veteran film director and best-selling author Gil Beckman to teach a three-day directing video series on how to direct epic action on a budget. If you want access to this free masterclass, just head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash free. Well, guys, I'm super excited about today's episode. We are talking to legendary director Raja Gosnell. And you might not know the name right away, but you will definitely know the movies he's worked on, not only as a director, but early in his career as an editor. As an editor, he worked on films like Mrs. Doubtfire, Home Alone, Home Alone 2, and Pretty Woman, just to name a few. And after working with some of the most amazing directors and filmmakers of their day, like Arthur Hiller, Gary Marshall, John Hughes, and Chris Columbus, he decided to leave the editor's chair and dive into directing, and he's built us a pretty solid directing career for himself, I have to say. He directed the cult hit Never Been Kissed with Drew Barrymore, the blockbuster Big Mama's House, and then his career really kicked into high gear with Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo 2, Beverly Hills Chihuahua, You Mine and Ours, and the international blockbusters, The Smurfs and The Smurfs 2. Raja is a really, really fascinating guy. I loved, love, love our conversation. I wanted to discuss how you direct, you know, animated characters within a live action scene. And he is by far one of the most go-to directors in Hollywood for that. And I really wanted to get into that as well as his editing past, how his editing career helped his directing career. And we also discussed his new movie, Gun and a Hotel Bible. We'll get deep into that as well. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Raja Gosnell. Now, today's guest, we have the legendary educator and writer Judith Weston, whose book, Directing Actors, Creating Memorable Performances for Film and Television, was a seminal book in my early directing career. I read it when I was in college. It is one of those books 
that is on most directors' shelves. And if it isn't on your shelves, you need to buy that book and read it. It is a wonderful book about actually how to work with an actor, how to pull a performance out of them, how to guide a performance out of them, how to talk in the language an actor understands. It is so, so important. I've seen so many independent filmmakers and big, you know, studio filmmakers who have no idea how to talk to actors, who don't understand the language that they speak, don't understand where they're coming from, and it frustrates everybody involved. And Judy is there to help, you know, bridge the gap between the actor and the director. And we dig deep into her methods, what she does, how she does it, who she's consulted and worked with in Hollywood, which is a who's who of Oscar-winning directors. So it's pretty, pretty amazing to have this conversation with her. So I was really excited to get her on the show. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Judy Weston. I'd like to welcome the show Judith Weston. Thank you so much, Judith, for being on the show. Thanks, Alex. I appreciate it. I I truly, truly appreciate you coming on the show because your book, Directing Actors, was such a big part of my early directing education because a lot of the things that are in your book – they weren't teaching to me in film school, especially the film school I went to. They really didn't focus a lot on the directing aspect of things. So your book was like a treasure trove and still is a lot. I mean, there's nothing that's gone stale. All these techniques, you know, actors are still actors, directors are still directors. And your book was so uh, instrumental in, in helping me in my directing career. So I, first of all, I want to just as a fan, thank you for writing it. Uh, thank you. Thank you for writing it and putting it out into the world. And uh, and we'll talk more about the book and, and the new version of it that just came out and other things. But before we get into it, I just want to ask you, how did you get in? How did you start on this journey on helping directors, you know, direct actors? You know, I was thinking about this. I, I knew you were going to ask me this because people always start interviews with this. And I'd listen to some of your others. And and um, and um, and I realized when I was thinking about it, how mu- you know, I realized how much. I just like talking about myself and talking about my work. What I like to do is do the work and, you know, help people, like you say. Uh, but it, it, I mean, the short answer of how I got into it is I was an actor. You know, I was an actor and I began to see that some directors were good and some were not. And uh, I began to notice certain things. And uh, I think it was the second, and I, I'd come up from theater. So in theater, you do a lot of rehearsal and you have a lot of collaboration and um, you never, you, you, well, you never argue about uh, changing lines in theater, but you can argue with your director all you want. So that's, you know, that's different about theater than film. And, um, but I loved, I loved getting into television and getting into film. I, I, I loved it right away. But the second job I got, the first job I got, I had the, like maybe the best director in the world and uh, John Cordy. And um, the second job I got it was for an afternoon special. Um, I was living up in San Francisco and they used to, um, that's where I'd gotten started acting. And they used to shoot up there. It was a great place to shoot. Right. And um, and cast the smaller roles from the local people. So I'd gotten this job as Miss Palmer, the, um, you know, the teacher, right, after sc- school special. So 
And I, you know, I was so happy at my second job. That was very exciting to get a second job very soon after my first one. And I bounced up to the director on the first day and I said to him, oh, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. What shall we do with Miss Palmer? And um, and he looked at me like I had two heads and he said, well, just do what you did in the audition. You were great. And and I just thought, OK, OK, there are directors who don't know how to talk to actors or who aren't interested in talking to actors and aren't interested in hearing ideas or talking about or even talking about ideas, you know, even expressing their ideas or having ideas. And um, they're, they're kind of piecing things together like it's a jigsaw puzzle. So um, so I filed that away. I mean, I was a, an actor. I, I, I wasn't interested in teaching at that point. I wanted to, you know, work as an actor. And um, but I but I had been told by my acting teacher, Jean Shelton, you know, one of my major mentors, a mother figure, if you will, um, that I would. We, we had a special relationship and, and she always told me that someday I would teach. So at a certain point when I started teaching, I remembered, you know, I remembered this, I'm sure very wonderful. I'm sure he did a very good job with this after school special and, you know, Miss Palmer. And I, and I thought, you know, directors really need to know more about what actors do. Okay. They really, really need to know more about actors. And so I started out, I was just doing an acting class for directors, I just thought I'm going to make it, you know, once a week for eight weeks, people will, you know, they won't mind signing up for that. And, um, you know, I'll just teach them some acting. And I, I had I had been teaching a class called Acting for Non-Actors. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So I discovered that I was good at that. I was good at getting people to... Uh, I was good at getting a performance out of somebody who'd never acted before. And, um, and so that, and I thought, well, they'll figure it out themselves. If they get in the actor's shoes, they'll figure out for themselves what's going on with actors and they'll have more empathy and they'll be able to communicate better. But people still kept asking me questions. They kept asking me. And the main questions were always, why do I need to know this? And how can I use it? And and at first, I always I had the idea. Well, it should be obvious. It should be obvious. You know, I'm teaching you about verbs, so it should be obvious that you should use verbs when you communicate with actors. But it wasn't. So and so that was just fantastic. I I always learned much more from my students than than I'm sure I ever taught them because they you know they 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 kept they kept at me. Why do I need to know this? How can I use this? And um, so I thought, well, I got to figure that out. And so, and they really pushed me to figure out exactly how, you know, precise ways that the tools that actors use, like like backstory and emotional, or what I call emotional history, emotional history, uh, verbs, um, objectives, you know, what the character wants from the other character. Um, imagery, uh, subtext imagery, the, the the things that are going, the the memories and the and the uh, um, ideas that are going on in the character's mind, and how those, um, you know, how those could be director's tools. 
as well, you know, in addition to t- actors' tools. So I'm going to give you. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story of when I first directed my first short film in college. Oh, please do, please okay. do. I and love this, to hear your stories. So when I first, when I I got a, a group, I went to an acting studio, and I went there and befriended a bunch of actors. I said, "Hey guys, we're doing a short film," and it's it was shooting in our apartment. It was some college, you know, like a bunch of college uh-huh. kids sitting around talking. It was, you know, the experience of that I had at that point in my life. So we, we got all these actors together and, um, they, they came over and we, you know, had all my technical stuff. I was shooting with the cameras and I had my little crew together and everything. Then the actors started doing, they went outside to, they started like kind of yelling and going like trying to shake something out of themselves. Like, blah, 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 blah. I had never seen anything like this before and i'm like oh my god these people are crazy and at that point i realized oh these people speak a completely different language than i do they don't they don't we 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 are it's like earth and mars and venus you know it's like it literally it's just speaking another language and i was able to communicate with them and i was empathetic and i was able to get you know to a certain extent there was some result directing in there there was some other things you know on the nose stuff that you do when you're a young director but that was the first moment I realized, I'm like, I need to understand how these, these collaborators speak. Just like I had to learn cinematography language, composing language, production design language, all the other departments. As a director, you need to understand their languages. But actors specifically, because they're such an integral part of the storytelling process. And then that's when I picked up your book and I started learning a little bit more about what they do and how they do. Yeah. But I, I feel that there's so many direct, so many directors that that run when they get an actor like that or actors like that, they're shocked and they just don't know what to do, let alone with all the pressure of trying to actually make a movie, let alone a bunch of actors yelling and screaming and doing things that they've never seen before. Right, right. Did you ever take an acting class? I did. I took a couple acting classes. Okay. Uh, in my in my day, I realized that I do not want to be an actor uh, uh-huh. because it is I, I when I took the acting class, I realized. First of all, I, be, I became I became so empathetic to what an actor does and how they do it and the exposure that they put themselves out there to do what they do. Good actors, at least um, to do what they do. And. From that moment on, I, I was always very kind to in castings and things like that. But from when I right. became, well, you're, a kind, you're a kind person, I so try, that, I, that, and that matters. That counts. I try, I try, but I always realized um, that even in castings, which are brutal. I mean, I've seen casting directors shred, mm-hmm. you know, actors. Uh, you know, and if I had any sort of power in the situation, I made sure to stop it. Um, but I've seen it. I always made sure to be extremely kind and courteous and and just just empathetic to what they do because it's it's so it's such a sad thing because you as an actor can prepare and do everything and you might be awesome and you might know your lines and everything but you walk into that room you just not might be you're not what they're looking for and it's nothing right. it's nothing personal it's not you it's not a judgment on you your talent I'm looking for someone who's six five African American or and you happen to be five, eight and Asian. I'm like, it doesn't, it doesn't work. You know, it's your acting is fantastic, but it's not work for the part. Um, or I have something in my head that's not matching what's walking in. So I became very empathetic. And I think that's one of the keys of, of a good director is to, to have empathy for what they're doing. I think that's the starting point. Then you build that relationship. Is that a fair statement? Oh, I, I think that's very important. I mean, you know, one thing that I, I 
used to tell my acting, uh, the class I taught was called Acting for Directors. I taught it for 27 years. And uh, this workshop, and it was limited to 12 people, 12 directors. And I used to tell them right in the beginning, I used to say, do you realize that um, actors think of people who are not actors as civilians? That they feel in a completely different world and, you know, and, and that they're, they're in a fight, they're in a battle, they're in a, you know, they're, well, not a, not a battle, it's fun, you know, they love it, but, uh, so they're not going to get killed. Like, oh, I use, I use the analogy of battle all the time. I always say, I always tell people I have shrapnel constant. I have a lot of shrapnel (laughs) inside of me from this business. So I completely understand. (laughs) But, 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 but actors, you know, they feel like people who are different from everybody else on the planet. And that includes everyone else on the, on the uh, film set. Which says says a lot because we're crazy. (laughs) <laughs> that's true that's true but, but not a, but but actors still create actually sometimes i sometimes i make the analogy to it's it's like uh like teenagers you, you know that that not that actors are more childish or more uh you know less mature less developed than than adults but but that but the way that adults uh think they like teenagers but they really don't that teenagers are too out of control. They're too, uh, they're too out of control. And, and adults think, you know, they love their children and they, but, but they really don't like teenagers. And, and that I, I think that actors feel that way sometimes on a film set that the people, you know, they love them. They, they need them, but they don't really like them. They don't really like, you, you know, they're, they're, that, they're, that actors are loud and they hug too much and things like that. And, and, uh, and, they, and they, you know, can be temperamental. And, uh, and if they're not temperament, you know, if they don't express the temperament they're feeling, they shut down. And, uh, and you can't get them back just by dialing a, dialing a knob. So, um, you, you know, it, it, it's, so they bond together. You know, they, they, ha- they hang out together and they feel more comfortable. And, and it's, you know, you, you have to get invited into that and, and to, as well as to respect it and to see it as a craft and not just like, you know, a childish thing that running around and, you know, being too expressive. And pretending. But, and, you're, you're, and, and pretending, yeah. Right. But, but to, um, uh, it, but anyway, it can be just so exciting to for a director to understand enough about actors that that you know how to invite yourself in and or get invited rather you know and that's that's what we talk that's what we mean by trust is but, that uh, you know is is uh and 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 one thing i want to say about cuz one of the questions act, directors always ask me well they would always ask how do i get actors to trust me huh. and and my answer is you to get if you want someone to trust you you must trust them that's the that's the that's the secret it, it's a very simple one it's hard to remember sometimes but it's a very very simple one and and has to do a lot with my principle of opposites i think opposites are you know uh crucial in so many ways but if you want somebody to trust you you must trust them and um and 
and you know, directors are often young directors are mistrustful of actors. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. They're they're sort of instantly in damage control. They're they're looking around saying as soon as the actor does something strange, they're thinking, "Oh, she wants to ruin my movie." And uh, <laughs> how can I keep, how can I how can I rein her in to keep her from ruining my movie? And um, I don't know. Actors are not like that at all. They really really want to help. They really want to you know they want to be they 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 want to be engaged with the with the director they they may want to fight but it's you know it's ideally they're fighting over ideas they're fighting over interpretations and and you know not not over i mean actors know that they're that the director is the leader and i i don't i, I don't i don't think of it that way as as most of the actors i know they're not fighting for control. They're fighting for ideas. And, 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 and excuse me, I know you mm-hmm. want to say something, but, mm-hmm. but, but it's always, always good to uh, treat people as if they're fighting over ideas and fighting over the work instead of fighting for control. It's always better to keep the, to keep the focus on the work and not on the ego. Yeah, gosh, yes. My, my my latest movie is called On the Corner of Ego and Desire for a Reason. It's, and oh, it's wow. about and it's about filmmakers. Okay. <laughs> so there's a. I completely understand what you're saying, and I'm going to give you my experience, and I'd love to hear your yes. thoughts on it. I find it that actors, at least from from my years of directing, actors want a safe space. And they want to feel protected by their director to go yeah. out on the limb because they do the great performances in history are actors going out there without a net in a safe space because they they have to feel that there's somebody there to catch them if they go too far or if they wander or, or anything. And they need that safe space to play. And if you can give an actor that safe space, you're able to create that bond with them and then they can exp- grow more and they can do more and they can exp- experiment more. But the second... Exactly. The second an actor does not feel safe, that's when they shut down. That's when they start trying to take control because they're in damage control for themselves a lot of times. I've seen it. It's happened to me early in my career. I've watched it on sets where actors literally have no relationship with the director and they just they're just like, Well, look, I'm here. I'm gonna now this is about me. I gotta protect myself and I gotta make sure my performance and they just block yeah. it. And then this is all this is all but it all stems from having that safe space, having someone that you know this person has your back. Is that, in your, from your experience, is that fair to say? Here's how, yes, exactly. But here's how I, uh, here's how I translate or, or, or what you're talking, what you say about safe space, so important for any creative endeavor. And the way I think of it, in a, in a way that I think is more easy to remember, more easy to do, is it's permission to fail. So uh, one time a, stu- a student of mine, after the workshop, she created this beautiful uh, artistic um, uh, uh, p- painting for me and uh, on the theme of give yourself and everyone you work with permission to fail. And um, that's, that's the key thing is that 
you, you know, uh, you you can have the idea that you want to give a safe space, but if you're if you're criticizing, if you're correcting, if you're if right. you're uh, it, or if you're uh, you know if if the disappointment is written all over your face, then um, it, it, it's so helpful to keep a forward movement, to keep focused on the glass half full instead of the glass half empty. You know, focused on what what's going going well, and then kept saying, "Well, let's keep working." You know, let's keep working. I, you know, you can say you can say something like that. I think we've got more to. You can say, you, you don't have to pretend you like it if you don't, but you can you can say things like, uh, "I think there's farther we can go. I think there's another layer we can get." You know, you can put it in that in that positive forward way. Um, and and you don't have to tell them what it is, you know. You if a if an actor isn't what you think of as there, you can um, ask uh, say to them, uh, you know, I think we can go. I think you can go further here, but you don't have to tell them what to do. It's you know you don't have to tell them how to do their job. You you can uh, you. You know, it, it. I think that's a place where directors get mis, mi, mixed up, where they think, well, I don't have the language, so I can't tell them how to fix what's wrong. Well, you don't have to tell them how to fix what's wrong. You can you can tell them, you know, I go back to some of the, you know, some of the greats, you know, like William Wyler back mm-hmm. old, old school old, super old school. Um, well, I'll just mention to your readers, they may never have heard of William Wyler, but Billy, I just... It's Billy Wilder. Yes, of course. Billy Wilder or William oh, Wilder? Oh, no, it's a different one. There's oh, okay. Okay. Did I get that wrong? William Wyler? Uh, you might, you might. I know Billy Wilder, but I don't know. Uh, I don't, I have not heard of William Wilder. I might be, I might've heard of him. I just don't remember off the top of my head. Okay. Okay. Um, well, uh, Director of um, well, I, uh, okay, never mind. So he directed Ben Hur. He directed a bunch of things back in the day. Anyway, a bunch of Academy Award winning movies, but he's been dead a long time. Anyway, he used to uh, after every after every take, he would just say, "Do it again." He would never give any particular direction. He would say, "Do it again," and of course, he shot a lot of film, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's cost the studios a lot of money because sure. he would shoot and shoot and shoot without. And, and then eventually the, the actors would figure it out for themselves. Exactly. So I it was rehearsing with the camera running. Yeah. And like my last film I did, I, I, I basically was a lot of improv in, in those films and, and I just kind of gave the actors a really beautiful, you know, chorale to play. And I'm like, okay, guys, let's have some fun. Let's play. And my first film was very experienced, like extremely experienced actors. My second film was young actors. And Mm -hmm. it was wonderful to watch how I just like, hey, let's just play. And the difference between the seasoned actor and the the younger actors, because the seasoned actors were like, this is fantastic. I've never had so much fun in my life. There's no pressure because it was so stress-free and it was like an anti-film set. And then in the second one, everyone was – they had no idea. They were just like, this is fantastic too. But they were more scared. You know, They were more scared of like appro- approval and things. And I had the pleasure of directing um, Robert Forrester in, in a project. Oh, wow. Yeah, who just, who just passed. And, Such a 
wonderful actor. Oh, he was wonderful. He was one of the sweetest souls I ever met. And yeah. when I worked with Robert, I was a young, this is going back 10 years, I was a young director. He was Academy Award nominee Robert Forrester, who's worked with Quentin Tarantino and many other big time directors. And he was as courteous to me and worked so hard on the project as if he would be walking on a set with Quentin Tarantino. It was fascinating to watch. And even when I gave him direction, he would turn to me and honestly say, was that what you wanted? Are you okay? Do you want me to do it again? He was kind of like coaching me a little bit on how to, because mm -hmm. I was intimidated. I was like, Jesus, this is, you know, I'm right, Forrester. Right. It was fascinating to to work with someone like him. He was so, he, he comes from an older generation, obviously, but that generation of work ethic. And he's like, it was a short film he was doing for me as a, as a favor. And right. he came in and he just did his work. And it was wonderful to work. When you work with seasoned actors, you realize, oh, this is what it's really supposed to be like. And with, yeah. with, with a seasoned DP or seasoned production designer or anybody. Um, it's fascinating. It really is. Uh, one, one question I want to ask you. Um, we, we talk a lot about this, and it's something that you and I both understand what it is, but I really think the audience would help benefit from your explanation of it. What is result direction? Okay. Um, it's best explained with examples. <clears throat> and that's how I started out the first chapter of directing actors with these examples of result direction. So uh, for, what, for one example, line readings. That, that's the simplest. That, that's the simplest. Uh, and I think that most people recognize, you know, it, it, telling the actor, let's pick a line. Let's say the line is, uh, when are you coming home tonight? Mm -hmm. And um, and the actor says, when are you coming home tonight? And then the director says, well, don't say it that way. Say, when are you coming home tonight? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. You, you know, that, that, that's line, line readings. That's a line reading, right? yeah. So that's uh, that's very clearly that's the result. That's the that's the result. The way you want the line to be said, and um, that's uh, maybe the simplest and most easily understandable example of of result direction is um, is, is telling the actor how you how you want it to be said. And and it's um, and really directors really have to get away from that. <laughs> they really yes. have to. They yes. really have to. I mean, what I just did, uh, the, the simplest way to translate what I just did was with intention or verb. When I said, when are you coming home tonight? You know, that I had the I had the verb, the intention to invite you to come home and to be welcome whenever you got here. And when I say, when are you coming home tonight? I have, there's, I'm accusing, right? So that's my verb is to accuse, or you could call it an accusatory tone. I like to use the verb to accuse. And, um, and, and if, if, if directors start to understand the difference between, you know, I just want to hear it the way I hear it in my head versus what's going on underneath. What is this character doing? What does this character want? What effect does the character want to have on the other character? Does the does the character want the other character to feel welcome and to feel to feel warm, or does the other does the character want the other character to feel 
uh, threatened, you, you, you know, like, like you better do what you, what you're supposed to do or else you'll be in trouble. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, so that's a simple example of, you know, instead of the asking for the result to, to give some thought to, uh, you know, what the intention is underneath. Um, another one of course is, is to ask for a mood, you know, can you make it more quirky? Can you make it, can you make it funnier? Can you be angrier? Those kinds of things. Those are result directions, uh, um, an emotional result. Be angrier. Be uh, uh, cuter. You know, that, things so, like that. Be so, more disappointed. Oh, so, so let's say instead of saying you're angrier, you would maybe, would you suggest like talking to the actor? I'm like, okay, instead of this part, I mean, you obviously could say, I want you to be angrier. And that's very. It's, you can say what you can say that. Yes, you can of course. Say that. Yeah, of course you can. But I what, never want to tell anybody. No, I never want to be the language police. Okay, can yeah, you make yeah. it a little angrier? No, but then if you can talk to them in the sense of the scene, like you know what? Um, instead of doing it angrier, I'm like, you just found out that she's cheating on you. Go with that. <laughs> Is that a direct? I mean, if that's the tone you want, because if you like. But, uh, how, you know what was that the line? What was the line you just said? Um, are you coming home for dinner? If you say right. you just found out that she's cheating on you, and you say that line, it's going to have a completely different energy behind it. Is that a, a good way of doing it? Here's the thing: I I, I really think it you know it should connect to the script somehow. Of course, and um, and it should also in, be a collaborative with the actor. So I always. I always will ask, I always will start with a question. I'll always ask the actor, what do you think is going on here? Okay. Instead of jumping in with telling them what I, how I want them to do it. And especially if you're saying you just found out that, that she's cheated on you, if it's not in the script, I mean, that's a, you know, of course you can make that adjustment. You can mm-hmm. make that, you know, as if you just found out that she's cheated on you. That's perfectly permissible to mm-hmm. make adjustments that are uh, different from the facts that are given in the script. But, um, but I don't know, I, 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 I don't feel quite right just unloading that on an actor, you know, okay. cause I'm still asking for a result. You know, I'm just pretending that I'm not, I, it, it's really a little bit lengthier process of asking, what do you think is going on? What do you want from this, in, in this scene? And, and, and one thing I want to find out first by asking that question is, do they have an idea that they're really invested in that I would be very well served by listening to? Okay. Okay. So, um, you, you know, if they, if I say, what, what, what's your idea about the scene or, or what do you want here? What, what are you working on? And if they say, well, I, and they very well might say, I know you want this angrier than what I just did, but I have this idea that I'm going to trick her into thinking I'm not angry. And then, you know, and then surprise her with, uh, with, with a, with a uh, disaster later on, then, you know, that's a real idea. That's, uh, you know, that, and that's, that's worth that's worth looking at. That's worth uh, paying attention to. And then, and then you can say, I, I totally, and you can still say, I totally understand that. That's a great idea. I really love it. Here's the reason why I think he starts out with accusation right out of the box. 
then you give them an, you know, you give them a reason. And um, yeah. So, so uh, thank you. That was, that was fantastic. I think that was very beneficial um, for everyone listening. The, the one thing I, I see when I look at a performance, especially when you're looking at shows or movies is the honesty behind mm-hmm. it. And, 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 and that honesty is something that you can smell. You can, yes. smell. most people can't pinpoint it. They'll just go, mm, or I didn't really connect to that or it didn't that. That's why anytime Meryl Streep just gets in front of a camera you feel like she's, she is, a, it's magical mm-hmm. how she just embodies whatever she does so effortlessly at this point in her career. And she's been yeah. doing it for, she's been doing it for decades, but her, the honesty in those performances. And if you look at the best actors and best actresses and supporting over the years, there's an honesty to those performances um, that is so, uh, you, you just can't put anything on it. Uh, you can't you can't define it. It's not something that can be definable. But when you don't see it, you can see it. Exactly. You know, when, when you don't see it in the performance, you can feel it. So so like sometimes my wife, who's not in the business, will be watching a show and she's like, she's a horrible actress. And I look at her, I go, yeah, I understand what you're saying. It's like because it's like so one dimensional. There's like there's nothing. There's no gas behind the pedal, if you mm-hmm. will. How do you nurture an honest performance? Is that something that is brought the actor needs? I mean, how can you pull that out of them or nurture them to be able to perform to perform that way for you? So the um, principle that I like to talk about and promote and encourage people to embrace is the idea that it's not a collection of single performances, but it is a a, um, a configuration of relationships that the story is about relationships and not about performances and you know it's not about the individual characterizations it's about the relationships and when you talk about Meryl Streep one of the things about I I, I remember a, a long time ago back when Inside the Actors Studio was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I watched every one mm-hmm. and um, I used to tape them and rewatch them and and um, <laughs> Uh, and Meryl Streep was on. And then that guy, that interviewer that everyone complained about. J- J- um, Lipton, Lipton, yes. I know, I know. He was, he was so well-meaning and he put the whole thing together. So, you know, you have to give him props. But um, he could be, well, anyway, so one time he, so she was on and he was asking her a whole bunch of stuff. And then all of a sudden he said to her, how much of your performance do you get from the other actor. And I'll never forget the look on her face. The camera was on her and she went red. She went red. She looked like she'd been slapped. And she said, well, all of it. I get all of my performance from the other actor. I have no performance until the other actor is there. And it was like she was hurt to be that at the suggestion, because, you know, she's known as a kind of a technician and, you know, as making every character completely different from everyone else. And, um, and she used to be faulted for that, you know, not anymore, you know, now she's kind of accepted for the queen. She always was, but, um, but the idea that she crafts her performance all by itself in a laboratory and brings it in and, pres- and, and presents it to the camera 
was she was letting us know that was completely wrong. That was completely not what she was doing, that she creates prompts for herself. She, you know, she would give her lot herself a lot to work with, but then she would give herself over to the other to the other actor in the scene. It's the, the term that actors use for this is listening. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. But it's much more than just hearing. It's much more than just something you do with your ears. It's, it's, uh, it, it's a surrender. It's a sur- you, you, you take all of your preparation and all of your preparation, of course, hopefully will have been honest. You will have been done, done honest preparation, not just, you know, making something up because you think it would be cool or you think it would be interesting, but something that you honestly know about life. Either it's because you know about it from your own life or from observation of other people and, and, and imagining people in circumstances that you've never experienced and research. You, but you do all of that. You, you do your, your personal exploration, your uh, observation your research, your uh, imagining, you do all that honestly ahead of time. But then when you get on the set with the other actor, you get, you forget it. You, 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 you almost let it go and you give yourself over. You respond in the moment to the other actor. That's how it looks honest. That's how it looks natural. That's excellent. Great answer. Great answer. Now, if you're not getting the performance you want out of an actor, what are some tips you can use besides, you know, taking a stick out? No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but believe me, there's probably some directors listening. But like, what, what do you mean? Is there a wrong thing not to take the stick out? No, um, you know, if there's a way to, if you're not getting the performance you want, because we've all, look, directors have all been there. We have not gotten the performance we want out of a certain actor and vice versa. The actor has not been able to get the, the, the can you give me an example though like what 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 were they not what were they doing that you didn't want or not doing that you did want it, it, uh, they they're, they're either getting in their own head and they're um let's say they're saying the line and they're saying it the same way no matter how many different ways you tell them to change it they still are saying the exact same way and they think in their head that they're changing it but Everyone listening is going, nah, sir, you're not changing it. And I think they get caught up in their own head and then they start spiraling. They'll start spiraling down a dark hole and then it could go, it can go dark. So if you're not aware of that, you can lose them, not only for the day, but possibly for the project. So if you start seeing things like that, what are some tips or techniques that you can use to try to bring them back out? Well, that particular thing of actors getting stuck in line readings um, you, you should find out on casting, uh, you, and you should not cast an actor who does that. So one of the things for castings, I, I have this whole set of ideas that I think are helpful for auditions, mm-hmm. um, where first of all, you let you, they, they come in, you let them do, you say, I really want to see what you've brought in and, you know, have them do what they want. But, but you say ahead of time, um, I want to see what you've brought in, but no matter how perfect it is, we're going to work with it a little bit. I'm going to give you some some other direction. And then um, even if you love it, you should still work with them, give them some other direction and make sure the lines come out differently. That's where you have to make sure that the actor can change their line reading with a different adjustment. 
um, because there are actors who have been improperly taught or, you know, untrained or, or improperly trained who um, fall into line readings like that. And um, sometimes the only way you can get out of that is by changing the line on them, you know, just before the scene starts. That's what, you know, some, some directors do. And um, so, uh, yeah, it really, it, it's, it's a really, it's a failing in their training and you, and you shouldn't work with them, <laughs> you, you, but you, you need to find it out in, um, in auditions. Now, if they are a very good actor and it's a sh total shock to you, maybe it's somebody you didn't even audition cause you, you know, cause they either, they don't audition or, 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 or things are, are so perfect. You could take them aside and, and you could say, you know what? The funniest thing is happening. I, I feel like the line read, it, we're fa falling into a lot. And you could, you don't have to say you are falling into, you say we're falling into a line reading here. And um, uh, I don't know what to do about it. It, 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 it feels, it's started to feel a little stale. And I, I, can you tell me what to do now? Obviously this should be said with nobody else around. Please. This, thank you. <laughs> yeah. This this is something that's very important to say to all your wonderful listeners is I believe every time you talk to an actor, it should be in private mm -hmm. every single time. Now, if you're saying something like I just described, which is so sensitive that, you know, you have to really look around, make sure no one's in earshot, not even another actor, but, but even for very uh, innocuous and, even banal seeming uh, interactions with a director, with an actor, it's really better to have privacy there. I mean, the, the absolute worst thing you could do is to yell a direction from behind the monitor, you, you know, or, or behind the, the, <sighs> the, cam the camera where everybody in the whole set can hear to say, uh, you know, to yell, it, well, make it angry, you know, make it angrier or, or, uh, or um, that was horrible. Whatever it is. That was horrible. Or, or the, or Do that, it again. That was that wasn't it. That wasn't what I told you. You know, I mean, that would be the absolute horribleness. And and you know, I mean, I'm going to assume that the directors who are listening to your podcasts are aware enough that they would never do something like that. But um, but but you know, it would always go up to the actor. Always go up after every take go up to them, even if you have nothing to say, even if you go up to them and you just smile at them and say, you know, I got nothing to say, but we're going to go again. You know, that, that, uh, uh, to, to make a, a, a personal connection and anything you say to them, you, you know, if you say, uh, I, I, I think we should try a different adjustment. What ideas do you have that, that you say that privately, or even if you very specifically say, I want you to really punish her this time. You know, that you you don't let anybody overhear that, but especially the crew, not to let any of the crew overhear, because here's why, here's why, is that, you know, the crew then becomes an audience and they become um, uh, assess, you know, judges. They become judges. They hear the direction and then they're watching the actor to say, is she going to do that this time or not? You know, and um, and the, there's no need for that. They're, that's not what they're hired for. They're hired for, you know, they're very, very skilled at what they do. And that's what they're hired for. They're not hired to, to judge whether, you know, whether uh, the, the performance and, 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 um, 
you know, and, and sometimes people ask me, they, they say, well, gosh, you know, what if it's, uh, you know, you're shooting in a small location, a small room and the, the sound guy and the, and the uh, camera operator, they're, they're close by, you know, I, I, it is impossible to talk to the actors without them overhearing. And I have to say, well, yes, it is, you know, <laughs> you could whisper. Yes. Yeah. It's not that hard, but, but, uh, you, you know, you, you, you could whisper, but you could also talk to the people, the, particularly the sound person, the, the camera operator that are, you know, that are going to be close up and it's going to be, you know, difficult for them to leave their equipment and move away. You could say to them ahead of time, you know, I, I'm going to want to speak to the actors privately after every take. And I, I'm, I'm not going to banish you from the room for each of those occasions, but, but I'd like to ask you to not listen. I'd like to ask you to turn your attention away and, and, and allow and give us the privacy, you you know, and, and you could say, are you willing to do that? And they're not going to say no, of course, you know, then they're going to try their best. And then besides that, you can whisper. The, the the good the always a good metric on if a scene is really powerful if you can make a grip cry um that's mm. generally a really good indication that you've nailed something <laughs> on that <Yeah>. scene <laughs> i've had that happen a couple of times on my set i'm like you just made the grip cry <laughs> that was fantastic well but- i always you know when i was acting when i was when i was acting in you know tv shows or whatever i always I was used to the theater, so I loved an audience. I, you know, I, I, I liked an, I, I liked to have an audience. So I was always playing to the, to the, to the room, <laughs> to the room, you know, to the, to the, uh, to the techno, to the crew. And so uh, I used to like it when sometimes, cause I never, I never was the lead in a big, in a, in a television movie or show, but. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. But I, I used to like it if, if, if you know, one of the st- uh, crew members would come up to me and afterwards and, and say, yeah, you're a real actress. I really thought you were great. So, <laughs> so especially Chris, sometimes it just meant that they, they were irritated with the star, but anyway. <laughs> no, I want to be so mean. Oh, you know? no, Cruz. No, look, Cruz is, it's my job as a director to create a safe space. If I've had I've had crew people walk up and say the just the not cruel but just dumb things or something that throws an actor off their 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 game, and uh, as soon as I find out about that, I fire or I, or either have a stern talking to or fire that act that that crew member because you can't have that kind of energy on set if you're trying to create a good environment for not only for the actors but for everybody involved. Um, yeah, no, I mean, sometimes I think it, it's, you know, it's the crew wants attention too. they want to be respected and, it, you know, but it's not a zero sum game. It, you know, it doesn't have to be if the actors are respected, the crew is disrespected. It, it's not zero. It, we're all in this together. It, we're all yeah, in yeah. this together. Yeah. Now, the one, one area of directing that doesn't get spoken about much, but it is something that we all, a lot of directors will have to deal with is directing children. Mm. Any tips on directing children? Um, because I've directed, I've directed children a handful of times in commercials, and it's fun. 
<laughs> to say the least. But I never had to pull a, sh- a very dramatic performance out of a child or anything like that. Though I've heard some horrific stories of how directors get those performances, uh, which are illegal here in the States, but I've heard them elsewhere. That's been pretty, pretty brutal as well. I know. I, I think I know the movie you're talking about, but we won't get into that. But, but um, <laughs> yes. yeah, but uh, well, you know, I, I think you should, you know, people should know that when a child is younger than seven and a half or eight, then if you make them go through really difficult, terrible emotions, they will be damaged. That mm-hmm. is the way it is. Do you have children? I do. And they're about, yeah. they're, they're, they're that range range. <laughs> so when children are, somebody told me this once and it just opened everything up. When children are, when they get to like seven and a half or eight, probably, then they start to have an independent imagination. They start to have independent, well, independent ideation. And they can look around at the world and make up their own mind about what's going on. But when they're younger than eight, everything that comes in is they're like a sponge. You know, they they believe everything. That's why they believe in Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. They're told they're Santa Claus. I mean, it's very unlikely, right? Ju- Ju- just let's just let's lay Santa Claus is real. Let's just put that out I'm there. <laughs> I don't know where this rumor started. It is horrible. <laughs> let's just put it out there. I just let's saw. Put an end to it right let's here. put an end to it. Santa Claus is real. <laughs> just in case my daughters ever listen to this. So let's just put that right to this. Santa Claus is real. I'm hoping to get at least one or two more years out of it. So please. <laughs> yes. Yes, Virginia. Yes. Santa Claus. So, um, but they, they will believe whatever they're, they're told. Because they don't know uh, anything. And, of course. And, yeah. Until eight, eight. It's, and it's not, it's not a question of, you know, some children are more mature than others. It's wiring in the brain. It's it's uh, it's the development of the brain. So if a child is younger than eight and ha- and you're asking them to go through horrible things, they will be damaged that. And and um, yeah, it, you know, so you don't want to do the One of my students, um, uh, Jennifer Fox, she directed this movie for that was bought by HBO. It's called The Tale. I don't know if people have heard of it. It was. It was kind of a big deal, it, it, and it was about mm, it, it, it had to do with uh, you know child sexual abuse, um, mm. and, and the the girl was uh, uh, thirteen, and and she'd cast an eleven year old to to to, but but and and she talked at great length how she avoided any possibility of any you know uh, damage to the girl in these really brutal, uh, sex scenes and, um, or rape scenes. And, um, and, and she, she did, uh, whenever there, there had to be scenes, whenever it had to be shot where both the child and the perpetrator were in the same shot, she had an adult body double and, uh, you know, and shot it so that, you know, that wouldn't be noticeable. And when there had to be close-ups of the girl's face the, it was just the girl, the actor playing the perpetrator, not present, and and Jennifer saying to her, "This is like a bee is stinging you." Right. That kind right. Of thing. So, uh, you, you know, that kind of thing to to take it 
to take it to take it out of there. So you, you got to put it. You have to put it down to their level. You can't say, "Okay, now you're getting raped, and this is the way it is." No, no. I mean, I know you and I look at it I was like this is funny, but but that's yeah. what that's what people will do. Um, I've seen it. I'm like, dude, you can't say that. Uh, but yeah. to bring it down to the level of the child and just go. And, and and I love that stinging, the bee stinging thing is is wonderful. It's a wonderful analogy of it because that's how you have to direct the child. You have to speak there. If you have to, you have to go through two levels of of language: the actor's language, and then child language. So you have to kind of exactly. do exactly. both. Exactly. And and then you you so the if people are interested, you know, uh, look up interviews with Jennifer Fox about this movie, The Tale. There's really good stuff there. Okay. The other place to look for great advice about working with children is on the um, extras, the DVD extras of a movie called Rabbit Proof Fence. Mm-hmm. You do you know, I know the, I, I know that I know that movie. Yeah, yeah. I am blanking on the director's name. How could that be? This wonderful Australian director. Yes, it was an Australian film. I forgot the name of it too, but we'll we'll we'll, we'll look it up. Don't worry. Okay, insert it later. Okay. Yes. Because I I don't want. It'll be in the show notes. I'll put it in the show notes. Don't worry. Yeah, and um, and it's a wonderful movie. Well, as you know, since you've seen it, it has three leads, children. Their ages are nine, seven, and five. That's really danger spots. Danger spots. And um, anyway, he go he he goes into great detail. He uh, he does a commentary on the whole show uh, 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 working with them. And then there's an ex, you know, little featurette about the casting and the, uh, uh, you know, rehearsal with, with them, which is fantastic. Now, some of that, it, there's a 40, the 40 minute featurette is on YouTube. So you can find it. Mm-hmm. Um, Rabbit proof fence, uh, making a featurette. And it's really, really helpful you know, and and as I listen, I've listened to it a number of times. And and as if I boil down what he did, he looked for for children who had um, who could play an objective, and who had imagination, and who were not afraid of the camera. And you know, that's that that's the main thing. And he took a long time to to find them. That's the other thing. If you have a dramatic lead, uh, this was a drama, Rabbit Proof Fence, um, you must take all the time you need to find your lead. Um, I, I had read, you know, Beasts of the Southern Wild, mm-hmm. which is a wonderful movie. Came wonderful and, 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 and they found that little girl. I mean, you, you, you can't imagine anybody else in the world playing that role. Well, the uh, the director said in interviews that he met with four thousand children, mm-hmm. four thousand. Yes, Spielberg. I mean, that's Spielberg. Uh, Kubrick for The Shining. He met, I think, around four or five thousand kids yeah. at the time as well. I mean, they all do the the good ones. And you have to just keep looking until you find the right one. I was just listening to uh, I can't remember where I where I heard this. Um, but somebody talking about the um, director of To Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. So now, uh, you know, uh, Lisa the Southern Wilds just a few years ago. Rabbit Proof Fence was, I don't know, maybe 10, 10 years ago, something mm-hmm. like that. 
And but Kill a Mockingbird made a long time ago. And um, and what this director used to say for the rest of his life, people would say, where did you find those children? And he said, I searched for six months. So this is something that has always been true, that uh, that you have to, you know, to find a child that has the imagination. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And the uh, and the uh, commitment, the, the, there's an objective, you know, the objective has to do again with listening. It's like, I want something from you and I'm paying attention to you as to whether or not I get it. You know, our, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think also another element of that is this true connection, you know, as a director, you're looking for a connection with your actors on a, you know, on a different level than just performer and director, especially with children, there has to be a rapport. There has to be a comfort level. There has to be that intangible thing when you're working, especially I mean, commercials are different, but, but if you're working in a, in a narrative scenario, there has to be some sort of thing there because if there isn't, that's the thing you're going to fall back on when the things get really rough or tough in the, in the scale of just making a movie, that connection, that rapport is so, so important. I remember watching Spielberg, uh, some behind the scenes of Close Encounter of the Third Kind. Mm-hmm. If you remember that that scene with the little boy? The, you remember the little boy in, in Close Encounter, the beautiful... Uh, I, I, but there, I, yeah, yeah. There was a, there's a little boy in Close Encounters and the the scene where the aliens open the door and we don't see the aliens yet. We just, the, the, the door opens and the little boy is there. And in one, uh, to get the, to direct them, Spielberg had one scene, a guy dressed up as a werewolf jump out really quickly, this, like to kind of jar him. <laughs> and then he was like scared for a second. And then Spielberg jumped out as a, a bunny rabbit, dressed in a bunny rabbit outfit. And he knew it was Spielberg because he's a director. And he jumped out and then he just started to smile. And that's how he pulled the, the, the performance out of that oh. child. Oh. And that's why Spielberg is Spielberg. And he did that back in 77, 76. So yeah. it, was, it wasn't like older Spielberg. It was young Spielberg. That's just genius. Now, um, yeah, I was going to say it's young Spielberg. But yeah, yes. yeah, because he, he was like a kid himself. Yeah, and still is to, to, to many, to many yeah. ways. Now, um, I could keep talking to you for hours, Judith. But uh, I'm going to ask you a few last questions I ask yes. all of my guests. Yes. Uh, what advice would you give a filmmaker or director trying to get into the business today? Okay. Do you mean others than go to film school? Yes. Because I think people should go to film school. I, I, you know, I'm not one of these people that says film school is unnecessary. Film school may be out of reach financially for some people. That's certainly understandable. But I don't buy these people who say, oh, you know, let's say they, they can afford to go to film school and they, and they say film school is a waste of time. I don't buy that. I think it's very important not to just try to be a, a filmmaker all by yourself. You have to you you have to work with other people. That's one of the best things about film school. Even if you know, hopefully you have good teachers and a good curriculum. But even if you don't, you have other people that you're working with, and you can learn from them. And um, you know, film is a collaborative um, collaborative medium, and it's 
it's good to start practicing with that. It's good to start practicing with the idea that you have to trust these other people. You have to communicate with them. You have to listen to their ideas. You have to uh, uh, learn from them. So I'm I'm a believer in film school. I I think I think it's a good idea. Now I know some people can't afford it, and um, now I am supporting political candidates that are trying to propose ways that anybody who wants to go to college can do that. But um, but there's a lot of afford but there's a lot of affordable film schools out there. Com- even com- so. even community colleges have you know there's so many Absolutely. options out there. Even you know even in Hollywood there's Santa oh. Monica College there's there's LACC you know there's there's community colleges. So I'm I'm a I, I'm a believer in that. I'm a, a you know and okay. and a, a, a big part because of the community because of uh, learning from other people. And not just thinking about how do I become a filmmaker, but you know how do I build my community? How do I build my my uh, you know my relationships and my and 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 my 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 tribe? How do mm-hmm. how do I find my tribe? So I I that that's what that's what I feel now. If you're uh, if for whatever reason you feel like you can't bear, I, I, I do reject the idea that film school is a waste of time, but if you feel like for whatever reason you can't bear to go to film school, you, you, mm-hmm. you know, school is just that disorienting to you or, or whatever, then, uh, you, you have to find some other way to, um, make connections. I mean, networking is a part of it and, and, and being, you know, finding people to collaborate with and, but, uh, you know, you start whatever way is right for you. If, if color is your thing, then figure out how to tell a story with color. If, uh, and, but, but I do feel that all directors should take an acting class at some point. I agree with you hundred percent. And, and, and if you, uh, and it not, and, and to not do it because you're going to decide whether or not you're good at it. It doesn't matter if you're good at it. It's, it's a question of, of, you know, exposing yourself, taking a chance. You have to have a teacher who's not going to criticize you. That's, I mean, when I, I, I don't teach that class anymore, acting for directors, but part of what made it work was that I, I was very supportive, but, but, uh, you know, no, anyway, that's I, was, I, I do was... take an acting class and do find your tribe. I will. I'll tell you. I had the unpleasant um, experience of having to act in my last movie, um, playing myself, no less. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason I took the job. It was because I was playing myself. And um, man, I hate. Oh. <laughs> when I was editing it, I made sure to cut myself out as much as humanly possible. So I do truly believe. I agree with you, hundred percent. Actor, a director should definitely take an acting class so they can feel. What it's but that's like. why you should take a class. You know, yeah. you know, like like Quentin Tarantino put himself in Pulp Fiction as was he Mr. Wolf or something? No, no, or, he wasn't Mr. Wolf. He was um he oh, was, no, uh, was uh, Jimmy. He was Jimmy. Uh, yeah. yeah, some co- some colleague of Mr. Wolf, I, I think. Yes. But but anyway, Jimmy. Yeah, and you know, it was a little bit of a dead spot, but uh, you know, in an otherwise you know almost perfect movie, but but. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, so I, I don't think you, I, I, I don't mean that directors should go in front of the camera, but they Agreed. should take a- Agreed. No, directors should not be in front of the camera. I'm not saying <laughs> that at all. Please. No, no, no. Um, okay. What is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film business or in life? Yes. I prepared for this because I heard you ask other people. 
It's this. Everyone is different. That's been the hardest lesson for me. Um, because I am a very inward person. Uh, I'm, um, I'm a, I'm a introvert and I, I don't think I, I, hopefully I don't sound like one in, in this interview, but I am. And, um, and so, so much is going on inside my head and it, it tends to be sort of impossible for me to understand that the same kinds of things are not going on in other people's heads. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that's where I've made a mistake a lot of times is, you know, jumping in when uh, I think other people, you know, I think there are, are certain assumptions that everybody has. So to really, really listen, because everybody is different. And uh, as far as how that applies to directing and teaching, every actor is different. And every every client that I work with, I, I'm not teaching workshops now. I, I'm doing one-on-one -on -one consultations with uh, film directors preparing to, you know, to uh, make their movie. And, um, uh, and, and every single client is different. Every single script is different. Every single, you know, and, and, and to be insatiable about, you know, turning myself over to them, listening to them, finding out what they need instead of imposing my idea about what they need. And I have to learn that every day. It's, still, it's always a struggle because I have very strong ideas. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Now, what is the biggest fear you had to overcome just getting into this business in the first place or, or being an actress or, or writing your first book or teaching your first class? What is that biggest fear? Oh gosh. Well, as an actress, I was less afraid on stage than off stage. I was a shy and uh, frightened person off stage and on stage, you know, but on stage, I wasn't afraid. So I don't know how that happened. Uh, but, uh, but I just was so lucky to find, to, to find it. So my biggest fear, my biggest fear was that I wouldn't get to do it. You know, once I started teaching, I loved it so much. Like the first night that I taught my very first class, I couldn't sleep the whole night. I came home and I just couldn't sleep the whole night. And that used to happen after every class I taught for a long time. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And my only fear was that I wouldn't get to keep doing it. So I, I don't know. I, I uh, uh, that was, I, I, I think you have to find a part of the, you know, if you want to be in the business, you have to find a part of the business that, 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 that makes you feel like you're home, you know? Fair enough. I, I, I think you do. And the three, and three of your favorite films of all time. All right. I knew this was coming too. So I decided, what I decided to do is to start with um, just in the last year and a half. Uh, you know, I mean, cause I'm an older person and sure. I don't know that your, your reader, your listenership wants to hear, Oh, the seventies, nothing good after it happened after the seventies in American films. But so, uh, so I, I decided to think about the, my three favorites of the last, I was going to say year, but then I stretched it a few to, years to include first reformed, okay. uh, which came out a year and a half ago, okay. first reformed by Paul Schrader uh, with Ethan Hawke. Um, and then currently Parasite is in the film, it's in the oh, theaters nice. now. 
Nice. Uh, which is so, have you seen it? No, I have not. I have not. Oh, God, you've got to see it. It's brilliant, brilliant movie. Okay. And then earlier this year, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Oh, yeah, I heard wonderful things about that. Yeah. So those three movies of the last three, uh, last year and a half are, um, uh, um, you know, movies that I really want everybody to see that I, that I, that move, move me. Tremendously. Now, if you want to include television, then of course we'd. Oh, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. There's so much good television. When they see us, you know, because that was directed by one of my students, Ava DuVernay. And, um, and then, oh, and then, you know, yesterday I saw Jojo Rabbit and I thought, well, I'm I'm dying to see Jojo Rabbit. I hear it It looks so amazing. And I just hope it does. I hope it's as, it's, it looks like it's as good as it, I hope it is. I think it surprises people. I but I loved it. I loved it. And I loved it. And, I, and then Taika has taken classes with me too, so um, so it, it's very dear to my heart. And and uh, I, I love movies where you have to kind of uh, you have to kind of figure something out about the filmmaker's heart, right? And and their or what you could call their intention. And in Jojo Rabbit, to really understand it and enjoy it, you have to kind of find your way into Taika's heart. And of course I've seen all his movies. So I'm sort of, and and I've worked with him and, and uh, you know, so I'm already there, but, but, uh, but anyway, it's really worthwhile, even if you don't know him already. And then, and that's true of Ava is that, you know, they, you know, you, you, you get clues to, you know, the, the heart of another human being. And, um, and it's true of Parasite and it's true of Last Black Man in San Francisco and it's true of First Reformed. And and um, so, anyway. That's awesome. Somewhat current movies. I won't go back and talk about A Woman Under the Influence. Well, of course, John Cassavetes. I mean, it's fantastic. Or Dog Day Afternoon. I'm not going to mention them. I mean, well, they're fantastic. I mean, you can absolutely mention them. Both those films are fantastic and should be watched by everybody. Um, now, uh, currently, you, you just released the audiobook version of your, your seminal book, uh, directing actors, which just yes. came out a couple of weeks ago. So yes. that's exciting. Where can people find the book, your other book, uh, the film director's intuition and more about you and you and what you do. Okay. Um, I have a website, judithweston.com. I have a Facebook page, Judith Weston studio for actors and directors. And um, on there, you can find the links for the audio book. It's on audible of course, but it's also on a whole bunch of other places where you can get it maybe, you know, possibly cheaper, like libraries, you can get it through libraries. But um, one thing I want to mention about the audiobook is that Directing Actors was written, can you believe this, 23 years ago, mm-hmm. it came wow. out. Yes. So when I when I got this uh, opportunity to do the audiobook, I went back to reread it, sort of thought, well, I have to prepare to I, I, you know, I want to read it. I want it to be the reader. So um, I better, you know, read the thing again. And I, I found that there was a lot that I wanted to change. So I went and changed it. I said, to, you know, I said, I'm going to do this. And they said, OK, so um, uh, it's it's quite uh, it's updated in a nice. very, uh, very uh, significant way. Um, each, each chapter is updated in a significant way. And, um, so I, I, uh, I'm very proud of it. I'm very, uh, very happy with it. And, and I hope people like it and find it useful. And, Judith. Yes. 
And I, well, first of all, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to, to me and my tribe. And, uh, and it's been wonderful talking to you. So thank you so much for taking the time. And, and I, pre- I appreciate all the work that you do to help actors work with, act- with, with the, work that, the work you do for directors to work with actors better. So thank you so much. Thank you very much, Alex. I want to truly thank Judy for coming on the show and dropping those major knowledge bombs on the tribe today. Thank you again so much. If you want to get access to her new audiobook version of Directing Actors, which just came out, you can get actually a free copy of it if you sign up for Audible and just go to freefilmbook.com, sign up there, um, or you can go to the show notes at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash 263. Thank you so much for listening, guys. As always, keep on writing no matter what. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv. 